Welcome to Spark My Muse, everyone. I'm your host, Lisa Colon-Delay, and today I have a returning guest, Tracy Rhodes. She is the author of Not All Who Wander Spiritually Are Lost, and we did that recording a few years ago. Today we're going to converse about her new book I'm really excited about. It's called Shaky Ground, What to Do After the Bottom Drops Out. It's from Morehouse Publishing in New York. It really comes at a perfect time when a lot of us are feeling like the bottom has dropped out. A variety of reasons for us, maybe it's COVID, maybe it's wondering what to do about church, maybe it's family issues. And I think this will this is coming in a perfect time. Tracy, thank you so much for being my guest today. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Lisa, you do good work. One of the things that got me kind of chuckling and, and thinking was that first part of your book where you thank the communion of saints, including the saints of Twitter. And I <laughs> think that's really great at the front of your book. Maybe you can tell us what the community online has meant to you and, and how that's kind of worked into your work. Yeah, I knew when I started writing this book, I, as all authors should be, I'm very concerned about crediting people where where they've contributed to the work, if you will, and not just plagiarizing, but even um, this book more than my first, way more than my first, had a lot of citations because I'm being so influenced as I go through this faith journey. And I wanted to um, acknowledge that. And that's where the Twitter community comes in. Um, I have done it a little bit on Facebook also, but kind of transitioned over the last few years to Twitter. I'm just a curious presence there. I ask a lot of questions. We can cover a lot of theological ground because I've kind of gained a reputation of being simply curious. You know, I'm not here to prove that I'm right about the way I take communion versus the way you take communion. I just want to know what it's like for you to take communion. And I want to know what it's like for me to go to a Catholic church, for example, and not be able to take communion. And rather than get mad about that and stomp out or not go to a Catholic church, I've learned I can receive a blessing in my, they've made room for me to receive a blessing by going forward for a priestly blessing. And that's just one example. And so when I began writing the book, I knew I couldn't, of course, just constantly say on Twitter, we talked about on Twitter, we talked about because nobody would buy that. It's really, it'd be really boring. Um, And so instead I do um, dedicate the book to them and to all of the conversations that we have about so many wonderful theological topics. And then actually, I don't know if you made it um, to the back, but they're also listed in the acknowledgement section. I of course could not list every first name, but I attempted to list the regulars and there's maybe, I don't, I didn't count maybe 30 or 40 first names. 
at some point during the book launch, I shared on Twitter, I have news. I, I dedicated the book to you. And it was, there was this one wonderful gal that I interact with. She has just converted to Catholicism. And she was like, oh my gosh, my name's listed. Like her name is unique enough that she knew if it was in there, she was probably part of that acknowledgement. And I said, of course you are. Oh, I love the conversations that I have with her. So it was just kind of a fun way to give back to that community. That's awesome. Yeah, I have to say just from my own interactions, your your timeline, your interactions are some of the most life-giving bright spots of Twitter that can be such a sewer sometimes. You know, we all know about the fights on Twitter and the controversies and the drama, but occasionally and among people I've gotten to know in more conversational kind of ways and, and people who really try to use Twitter for good, it's possible, it's harder, yeah, <laughs> it's harder, yeah. but it's possible. Um, the conversations are really fascinating and asking people about their experiences with different things. And you really want to know now some people do kind of come after you i think it's rare because they know your intention and your heart but occasionally there'll be somebody who says well this is how it works and you don't know what you're talking about or something like that but most of the time people are interested in sharing in that spirit of goodwill you know and i think that's a real blessing because there's a lot of people who and that's the beauty of Twitter, or it can be. A bunch of people get together, share things, and then you're like, well, gosh, I never realized that. Maybe I'll look into that. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's really, Twitter can be a blessing if you, if you swim through all the rest of the stuff. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, and I find that there are a lot of people on Twitter who aren't anywhere else. It, right. it matches their personality or something. I mean, I mm -hmm. can't, can't even list the number of teachers of Hebrew and um, oh, yeah, yeah. people with like their, their doctorate in the Roman empire during Jesus day. I mean, super <laughs> smart people. And so I'm like, I would be crazy to not try to tap into some of their knowledge because here they are around the world willing to exist in this space with me, with us. For those who are like, I don't even have a Twitter account. <laughs> I didn't open one until 2014 strictly for sharing blog posts. Mm -hmm. And it has just evolved into that. And now it is just a gift in my life. And yeah, yeah. you know, you, you have the less kind people <laughs> that, yeah. than others too. But you know, that that's all part of um, forming my faith as well, I figure. Mm. Yeah, when I... I met you at the Festival of Faith and Writing yes. in 2018. And I think at the time you might've had less than a thousand. Now you're like, you're like Twitter famous. <laughs> and, <laughs> but it is really neat to, to build those relationships. I've met so many people in real life from, I shouldn't say so many, like maybe a dozen or, or so. Yeah. Maybe two dozen, but they're always so much better in real life, at least in my experience than they are on Twitter. And I'm always like, Oh, this is so extra bonus. It's like everybody so cool. actually three dimensional and, and even more of a pleasure to be with if they are online, they're a pleasure. But let's dive yes. into the book a little bit. Sure. You put so many spiritual practices in the book. I was really delighted. That's kind of my jam as well. And you 
talk about your journey to discover a bunch of different spiritual practices. And so how was your tradition when it came to spiritual practices and, and how has it changed? If you can take us a, a little bit on what that journey was like. Yes. I grew up in a small country church that was Southern Baptist in rural Missouri. And one thing that I have learned in this journey, I think I'll say early on, I still take that church with me. The hymns that I learned there and my very first pastor uh, is actually the man who married my husband and I, and we still interact on Facebook. He had a stroke in the fall, I believe, maybe, maybe spring, and my heart broke. I mean, those connections are still very real. I, I think sometimes that's a blessing in my life because I know some people have experiences that they have to run from. Um, so, so I wasn't running so much as expanding, growing, uh, flying, if you will. I'll even use that term. So I'm thankful for that. But in that Southern Baptist tradition, in that small church, it, it was a box, if you will. It was a very small faith world. Mm -hmm. And it even to hear the word, I first of all, I probably wouldn't have known what spiritual practices was. Mm -hmm. I would have had to look that up. But then once I heard about it, if it sounded too Catholic, I wasn't going to do it. And I know for some people, it's not just Catholic. It's maybe like I just um, talked with another individual and he used the term, if it was too religious, mm. I wouldn't do it. And I thought, oh, interesting. So I think we use different words for it. But in my evangelical world, it was Catholic. If it was too Catholic, we weren't going to do that. Over time and maturity and meeting different people and writing myself and actually learning about what these spiritual practices were. I mean, it's a whole lifelong process that I can't describe to you in a paragraph, but I have come to treasure them. I've come to be deeply humbled by how I approached them and the way I shunned them. And, and you know, it's, it's a growth process. Like I say, taking all of it with me. Uh, um, is it, is his name pronounced John Blaze? I apologize if I, if I'm saying his last name wrong, but he is a beautiful poetic writer, uh, has spent some time in the editing world as well. Just a long, faithful life. Actually, he was a pastor early on. So a beautiful life of faith. And he was kind enough to endorse my book. And he sent it to me after he wrote up his endorsement because he said he wanted to be sure I had it early too. And that's one of the things that he said. I'll just read it. I'm staring at the back of it. It says, her discoveries have not taken the place of her childhood faith, but beautifully enhanced and strengthened it. And you know, Lisa, as a writer, when you communicate something that you felt so deeply and John saw that, that's my approach to spiritual practices. I don't hold those same misgivings anymore. And as a result, the spiritual practices that I try, and I don't continue with all of them. I mean, we can't just sit and do every single thing that we come across in 
Christendom, let alone any, you know, other faiths all the time, or we would not have any real life existence. But anything I try has just grown my faith so much and deepened my walk with Christ and with the body of Christ. And that's what I tried to reflect. We're not actually landing on any spiritual practice in particular, but I know that in, in my tradition, very conservative, what might have not been called spiritual practices were really still thought of as extremely important. And those would have been like, come to church on a regular basis and have fellowship with fellow Christians, read and memorize your Bible, give of your, um, give your time, talents and treasure, uh, you know, tithe or give an offering. And those were really, really stressed as th- these are things that are going to help your spiritual life grow in intimacy with God and others and strengthen your, your faith and your Christian walk. And it was sort of limited to that. And I think you could you probably would, would say something pretty similar for your background. And then um, a new world opened up to me as I realized, well, there's 2000 years of different kinds of practices I was not exposed to. Some of them really resonate with me deeply and others seem very foreign. But as I sort of delved into them or explored them with some curiosity, I found them to be incredibly rich. And, and like you were saying in your book, you were drawn to more liturgical things, probably because it's so opposite of the sort of free form uh, that you were exposed to. Maybe you can talk about a couple specifics that, that really got down to the heart of, of some of that exploration. Yeah, I, I really like the way you worded that and what you pointed out. I would add to that, n- not just for my personal faith, but even the spiritual practices that I don't necessarily take upon or not in this season of my life or whatever, it gave me permission to accept those spiritual practices in the faith of others. And that might seem like a subtle twist, but it was really important. I would never, I'm just beyond hearing that someone prays the Hail, the Rosary, you know, with the Hail Mary and Our Father four times a day and thinking, well, they're not getting anything out of that. You know, I, that's a beautiful, I'm so glad you have that practice in your life. I'm so glad you have found something that is drawing you closer to Jesus and that you, you know, I I have an essay on Mary in the book and I am the least qualified person to write about Mary, period. I just am. I love Mary, but it was always Mary and Joseph growing up. And so I, and I will point to this as one of, um, the practices that has meant so much to me in the morning when I get up and as an evangelical, one of my spiritual practices was quiet time. Like you said, sometimes we might be calling it something different, but we're doing a really similar thing. And so in the morning during my quiet time, if you will, when I get up and have my coffee and Jesus time, I have found that I really like to read something else before my Bible. That might be a book of poetry. It might be a prayer from a formal prayer book, such as the Book of Common Prayer. Um, In this particular essay that I'm referring to, it was a book called The Harp of Glory. And in this book, it was, it's from the Ethiopian Orthodox tradition, so translated. But it is almost like an ode 
you know, not, it's not, when I say poem, it's not like, you know, five or six lines on a page, like I would understand poetry. It's more this, I don't know, 75 page book that is just ongoing reflections directed to Mary. And it's not praying to Mary per se. It's more acknowledging that Mary is like the tabernacle. It's full of metaphors, right? Mary is anything, is like anything good that carried the divine. And so I read that book and at the, I tried very much to speak to my evangelical community at the end of it, at the end of that essay. And paraphrasing what I said, look, we don't have to take on the practice of praying the Hail Mary. I don't know exactly what I believe about praying to saints and saints praying for me before the throne. I'm still studying that, and that's okay. Um, but the Ethiopian Orthodox community was founded or existed prior to Acts because there's a story in Acts about Philip speaking with an Ethiopian eunuch and then um, baptizing him and poof, Philip was, Philip was gone. It's a great story in Acts. I can't remember the chapter. But my point was maybe the Ethiopian Orthodox tradition has something to teach me because they've been around so much longer than we have. And, and, you know, you have the whole, did we branch from Catholicism? Well, I believe I branched from Christianity <laughs> the way, right? Um, and that includes those brothers and sisters. And so that practice of reading something before I go ahead and read through my Bible each day has become really important, along with this crazy wide variety of material to read from Christian brothers and sisters who I barely, barely know. Yeah. I think that's my answer. <laughs> yeah. And, and that particular um, strand of Christianity that was started so early has endured so much and so much persecution. There have been so many martyrs and um, they still remain so faithful in that part of the world Every time I see something about the Coptic Christians or the Ethiopian Christians, I'm just bowled over. They have so true. this incredible spiritual strength. And again, in the West, we, we don't really think of them uh, in relation to us very often. They're long, long before Roman Catholicism. So it's, it's just really, we're talking about kind of another species almost um this is just fascinating and i don't always know what to do about that i mean i'll, I'll be very honest i you know i i'm what i would say no more than 10 years into this journey at this particular chapter of my journey with christ and i i <laughs> i'm like you said i'm i'm so humbled i'm so and again the beauty of social media that you can, uh, one of my very dear friends is um, a Coptic Orthodox priest. Are you kidding? 
me. Like, I don't even, um, you know, and then you enter this world of please don't let me offend you because I'm the one that doesn't know here. I'm the ignorant one here, you know, humbled again and again and again. On page 44, you write, we often give up on spiritual practices because they don't seem to give us adequate answers to our most difficult questions. And we struggle to see the difference they're making in our lives. Those are not practices intended to provide straightforward answers or immediate results, but to make us increasingly aware of God's presence. This is something I want to speak to because sometimes this is the sort of this is the sort of mentality that we're up against in our own hearts is that, oh, I'm going to do this practice because I want to see this result or I'm doing this, but it's not working. And we're talking about growing in intimacy with God and more aware of God's presence. But, you know, for people who are like, well, these practices are unfamiliar and do they really do something? Is it worth my time? And if you're not used to them and they feel uncomfortable, what's the use? And I, I like how you address that here in this in this paragraph on page 44, but maybe you can speak to just what are we talking about in terms of the spiritual practices and the inner work? I think, I mean, it's our world, right? How long does it take for you to exercise and benefit from exercise and actually maybe like exercise and get hooked on the endorphins that come from exercise? I think it's very similar to developing a spiritual practice, which they also sometimes call habits or disciplines. And so, and I will give a shout out to my editor too, who retired during this book, by the way. So I will miss Nancy. We worked on both books together. But she she pushed me on this a little bit because she's done these spiritual practices longer than I have. She said... Very much to your point, what do you do if you start one and you're like, ah, I'm not feeling it, or this is awkward, this is weird? Well, how how much time is it going to take? And I don't think you can, it's not a formula. Oh, I say that again and again. It's not a formula. I don't know that you can determine, okay, if I try it seven days in a row, really give it an effort and it doesn't work, scratch it. I firmly believe Developing spiritual practices is number one, removing the fear and the um, mental restrictions that you might have from your former faith days, early, early growing up days in the faith, especially if you were evangelical or parallel to. And from there, I think the Holy Spirit guides this process so much. And he's probably not going to tell you how many days it's going to take to do that. He doesn't, he or she doesn't really work that way. The spirit. That's, that's where I've kind of landed. I will try And, you know, I mentioned in the morning practices, when I first discovered prayer books, I was like the formal prayer books, like the cop for the Coptic Orthodox, it's called the Agpia. Um, the Book of Common Prayer is a, a great gift to the Christian world community from the Episcopalians and Anglicans. And when I first discovered those, I was like, I'm praying these every day for the rest of my life. The, uh, this is amazing. I mean, the, the way that those books would just, the words in those books, the prayers would just settle over me and make me take these 
deep spiritual breaths that felt so like so so good and right now i'm not using a formal prayer book um i'm actually reading a super heady for me theological book that fleming rutledge wrote on the crucifixion it's like 600 pages long i thank what a smart smart publishing team they wrote each section in pretty short little like subtitle sections you know so there'll only be two or three paragraphs at a time so that is my opening right now complete switch mentally um from this this kind of time of blessed prayer falling over me to kind of turning on my brain before i've had too much coffee <laughs> i don't know it's a bit like i say i i just um I don't know that you're going to, it's like if you go to the um, Christian bookstore and you want to pick out a new devotional, how do you do that? I mean, you might look at your favorite author if you're, you know, or you might be like, well, I'm curious about the Lutheran tradition right now. So I'm, I want to find, you know, maybe something that Martin Luther wrote. I mean, we go through a process and I think you do a very similar thing with spiritual habits. Um, practices again, Holy Spirit driven. I mean, he's you know he he's guiding you to the next thing, but it is I I, I will um, emphasize the point again. I think it's really important that you don't just count on doing it a day or two, and if your life isn't miraculously changed, and all of a sudden you want to praise Jesus all day, it didn't work. <laughs> you know that's yeah. um, that that's not very realistic. Yeah. And I like what you say on page 127. You say it's God who has gifted us with a variety of practices to move us into the fullness of God's love available to us in Christ. Exploring these new methods has required two things from me. First, I've had to lay down my assumptions about how God could be found and realize there will always be more of him beyond my knowing. Second, I've had to let go of fear. In most of my years as a believer, I was afraid of learning the wrong theology. Maybe you could talk about just that fear of learning the wrong theology. Like, what if these spiritual practices get me off on this praying to a false god? Or don't do this activity or don't read this prayer book because it's rote prayers. And I think there's a, some fear instilled in certain, in certain um, communities, Christian communities or religious communities that will you know, warn you about other ways of spiritual practice because of this idea that you'll be led in some wayward direction. We fear wrong theology when I hope my hunger for a deeper experience with Jesus trumps that. Yeah, right, right. And I think that's my foot forward a lot these days. There are things more important than if I'm right and wrong. And I don't, the very first thing I'll hear, I hear Twitter in my head a lot <laughs> after we've talked about that. The very yeah. first pushback I'm going to get is there are essentials of Christianity. And there are. And they are my foundation. And I have been told often it's pretty wise truth that foundation is why I, I keep using the word fly and I've never done that before I mean you know Lisa we might be onto something 
but <laughs> that's why I can spread my wings. Right. right. I have um, these foundational truths of who Christ is and what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. And from there, I don't face fear yeah, much yeah. anymore. I trust the Holy Spirit to um, let me know if if this is going, you know. And another interesting part of that journey is the way that I read scripture. And mm-hmm. I talk about that a lot in the book, partly because I'm a nerd and I just love scripture. I'll give an example. Can I read a book like Jonah and accept that there are people that aren't sure that's a literal story. Right, right. Or does Jonah have to live inside that fish for a full three days, 72 hours without, you know, I mean, and yeah. then your head goes and your science, you know, gets involved <laughs> and you're proving your point. And that's beside the point sometimes. <laughs> because... There are so many truths in the book of Jonah. Yeah, right. And I talk about so much of the way I read scripture now is to know God. Right. And you can really, really see God's heart in Jonah. And then you start to squirm towards the end of Jonah when God's like, how dare you not have a heart for the people of Nineveh, who I made, who I love, and like I say, and I hope that it paints a good picture of what I'm trying to say. The yeah. essentials are important, and Christianity does have its its cornerstone, Christ, right? It does have its foundation. But from there, all kinds of ways to know God if we can let go of the fear and trust the Holy Spirit to guide that journey. What you're saying about flying makes me um, have a visual <laughs> about that you have been in the nest with a very good mother bird in God, tending to you, feeding you, nurturing you, and then you're able to fly without fear. And I think that this is the thing is that a lot of this fear doesn't come from God. It comes mm. from people who are afraid for you and for themselves. And that that fear is cast out by love. And when we're talking about, that's in the Bible, obviously that's my scripture memorization coming out. But that fear is cast out by love because the love is that understanding of the intimacy. It is the felt intimacy. And that casts out the fear of, oh no, I'm doing the wrong thing. But God will shepherd us when we trust in that shepherd. So we're usually afraid of people being afraid for us, right? <laughs> we mm-hmm, hear the voice we hear of authority in our head isn't God's loving voice. It's that pastor's voice who was scared about you not being orthodox enough, right? So I think that it's interesting that sometimes we have to cast aside the disparaging, fearful human influences in order to step more in faith towards our loving shepherd who is, is guiding us in love. And when and we'll know in our hearts, in our spirit that talks to the Holy Spirit, communes with the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. If a spiritual practice is moving us towards fear, get away from that. You know, if it's if it's moving us towards despair or depression, well, that's a, not a great spiritual practice to undertake. We can leave that behind. 
it's the same thing with like if someone's forcing you as a spiritual practice to memorize scripture it seems like a great idea but it makes you so anxious and feel like a failure maybe drop that one right so it's it's really interesting how we approach fear which leads me to probably our concluding theme and there's just to listeners out there there's so many things we could have talked about i found like 20 things and i realized there's no way we're gonna this would be a series not an episode but i wanted to talk about deconstruction because as i talk about some of the things that have that come up in conservative circles and evangelical circles we wind up talking about deconstruction sometimes because there has been this falling away or this disappointment or just out and out abuses in certain churches and denominations that is difficult and shouldn't be overlooked. Absolutely. Tracy Wright, writing about deconstruction, she says, when I hear of people who are deconstructing their faith, I encourage them to go wider. Church is about so much more than the one or two ways you've experienced it. Interacting with Christians from other traditions, ethnicities, places around the world, etc., help us to know one another. It reminds us Christianity isn't American, and its roots weren't established in the 16th century at the height of the European Reformation. So I just want to bring that out there about that idea about going wider. A lot of times what we're rejecting with deconstruction is just the God that we've been presented. People in North America, for instance, if they say they're atheists, they're usually atheists of a very, very particular God. Are they really atheists of the Coptic Christian God? Are they atheists of, they're really atheists rejecting a specific God. They're probably not rejecting Allah because they don't know that God, right? So it's just really interesting that when we reject something or, or find its limits and feel disappointed and we deconstruct, that's good because we need to find resonance with something deeper than the human constructs and the structures and the framework that we as humans build up to support this idea of God instead of the true God underneath all that, the God beyond God. And maybe you could just speak to deconstruction a little bit, Tracy. I would love to. And I actually, um, truly, if you are an individual who would say you're deconstructing your Christianity, I kept you in mind with every essay I wrote because your bottom is dropped out. What I consider the most important bottom <laughs> that exists. Say what you need to say about the church. Let God have it. Tell the Jesus that people have presented to you. I love that point. You know, I'm not sure this is working for me. Do that work. I can't say that I would necessarily consider the faith journey I've had to be deconstruction. Again, going back to that idea of I really carried a lot of it, still carry a lot of it with me. But I do like to use the term stripping away. And that gets very much to the point of what you're saying, because that term wider has really caught me too. And it was not an idea I came up with. I was talking with a um, gentleman in the publishing business who has become a good friend of mine 
And he said, it sounds to me like your faith is not just going deeper, it's going wider. And I was like, oh man, now I have to credit you always because I didn't come up with that myself, but I love it because that is the the best way I know to describe deconstruction if you're going to go through that process. And as you can, I, I had a message just recently from a new reader, and she said, my daughter was really traumatized by a church experience, and she can't go to church, and she can't pray to Jesus. She can pray to God. And I always pray over those situations, because if that was me, if I was that girl, I'd be so heartbroken. Yeah. I mean, what hurt she experienced, and and we never want to belittle that. That's a very real experience in her life. If we're talking divinity, right, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we cannot possibly know them fully. Mm -hmm. And so the process that I would encourage is strip away the parts that have hurt, the parts that have caused fear, the parts that left you feeling like, Jesus was condemning you or causing you to feel shame. Mm -hmm. That's not Jesus. It's just not. Um, I mean, truly, the fact that Jesus built the body of Christ in the form of church and has not abandoned us for what we have done to it speaks of his great love. <laughs> and, and, you know, maybe listen to that sentence twice and write it down because it's not easy. That's part of why we operate in a fearful place, you know, because if we start to look at the complexity, complexities of these things, and if we start to realize that we only know this little, little bit of, um, of Jesus of Nazareth. What do we do with that? You know, that can, that can seem overwhelming, but instead look at that as continuing in a line of a completely worthy pursuit. Um, he's, he's so worth getting to know and those intimate times with him are worth it they're worth pushing through the trauma the fear the misgivings again the the beauty of the world we live in you can find any countless books you can find real life people on social media who have experienced some of these things that you might be like I don't know anything about that. And and I'll use the example of confession. You know, there are some church traditions who regularly attend a time of confession with their priest or, um, you know, other elderly um, or elder, I guess, is, you know, here publicly confessing um, their their sins and receiving um, instructions on on how to pray through that etc. And all traditions look at it a little differently. But in my evangelical tradition, 
the first thing I would have heard is I can talk to God on my own. Jesus said, I can talk to him anytime I want, you know, and that's, again, the first thing I would hear from, you know, certain individuals who had not maybe explored that idea of confession and the benefit that it has um, on a believer to be able to say those things out loud, to be able to hear the words, you are forgiven, rather than just internally hearing them, you know, from, from the spirit. There's some real benefit to that. And I have never, ever been to a confession yet. I learned that because <laughs> I read about it in books and because I asked the question on Twitter, what are the benefits of confession? And it was so much different than what I had been taught. Uh, I don't even know if taught is the right word, what I had heard it was. Yeah. Boy, you'll hear that again and again and again when you are on this journey. I like what you say on, on page 141. You say to people who are deconstructing or wondering what to do about church or their spiritual lives, you say, ask God to reshape your idea of church to heal those parts that are unwilling to try again, to show you the beauty of finding Christ in community again. And here's where I'd like to say, um, to invite you to speak about why should we not think of Christianity or our walk with God as something we can do, me and God. This is just me and God. Why is church or Christian community important in, in your mind? My favorite metaphor for church, for what Christ left us with whenever he sent the Holy Spirit to live among us is the body of Christ. And I can't be a body alone. Um, it, it can't be me and Jesus. Um, and I go back to when Paul would write about, it, it, he, I if I, if I understand the context correctly, Paul was more likely speaking to a local church experience and the giftings. You're, of course, you need a teacher, and you, but you also need a preacher, and you need a woman or man who practices hospitality. You know, all of these spiritual giftings, right? Tucked in there, he talks about how it's all interconnected, and... Once you see that interconnection, again, the body of Christ, I meditate deeply. The final prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 on behalf of all believers, and he prayed that we would be one. And he didn't pray that I would be one with him. He prayed that we would be one. And that's how I move forward. We are one. And once that grips you, you can't unsee it, you know, um, and, and that propels everything in the book, everything that we've talked about today, this idea of trying to understand spiritual practices so we can understand one another and so we can go deeper and deeper and deeper with Jesus. It's all driven by that idea that we'll do it together. 
That's wonderful, Tracy. Well, everybody, the book is called Shaky Ground, What to Do After the Bottom Drops Out. Uh, whether the bottom is dropping out on you or not, this is kind of one of those books you have on your shelf, on your library, in your living room, or in your office. It's just really a great book. And I'm so glad, Tracy, that you muscled through all of that. I know it's it's always difficult to write a book. This had a lot of influences from all different sorts of people and all different sorts of time periods in the Christian faith. So thank you so much for writing it. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I appreciate the interaction that you have with it. You know, whenever you, you find parts that you're like, oh, I want to learn more. I need to go look that up. Or now I want to find a person on social media who maybe does this particular practice. That's that's certainly my intention. It's a jumping point, if you will, into into further exploration. 